Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe, DJ. How you doing, Charles? Good, man. Good to see you. How are you? Had a little trip, didn't you? I did. Uh, it was great. Had a wonderful time. Went back to uh, Hartford, flew into Hartford, and we spent okay. some time in Boston looking at boarding schools for Jaden for next year. Everything turned out okay? It turned out great. You didn't buy a property in New York, did you? Uh, no, so, because, uh, I was in, no. Uh, because I was in Boston. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. No, I know. Uh, Do you have an affinity to New York? I was raised in Brooklyn. I'll, I'll let Charles introduce you. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, super excited to have my friend here, Liz Akbula, who's going to join us today. She's CEO of Moses Behavioral Care, and uh, she's a she's a wonderful community uh, stalwart. She does a lot of work in the community around behavioral health, not only behavioral health, but on uh, I think you're on the board for Valley Wise Dignity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's a baller. Ugh. Basically, the baller. Basically. <laughs> I, I, that much I do know. Thank and, you, thank you, gentlemen, for having and me. Raised in Brooklyn. Yes, before Brooklyn was Brooklyn, though. Like now, you've got people with like strollers and babies walking down the street. <laughs> that was not the Brooklyn I before grew up Williamsburg. In. There was no Williamsburg. Yeah, there was okay. no Dunbo. What yeah. is that? Really? Okay. I still don't know what that right. is. What do you think about that? A um, lot of gentrification. I wonder where they yeah. moved all the other folks. That's what I think about mm-hmm. that. You know, there's a lot of um, communities that have done it properly. Seattle, for one. Um, their old Chinatown, they did a huge remodel. The, uh, I mean, the epitome of gentrification there for sure. But they kept the folks that lived in those neighborhoods. They kept them in affordable housing that they built in those same neighborhoods. So it. it's doable. It's just, are they willing to, right? So, you know, one of the things I've noticed about you, you're all about community. You yeah. know, you and that's that's not just, you know, what you're doing today. That's something you've always done. You've yep. always been about community, about helping um, those of us, obviously, who, you know, need uh, a, a hand in terms of, you know, maybe it's uh, mental health or maybe it's just, uh, you know, homelessness, whatever that For cause sure. may be. Uh, it seems that you've been involved in some way. Yep. Tell us about your background, where you grew up. I know we, I know Brooklyn is part yeah. of the story, but yes. give us some background. Just bring us up to like, you know, where you grew up and the, how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So for me, everything is about family. Um, you know, I, I was born in Nigeria, so very tribal communities are my origins. And so I just kind of took that with everything else I've done. What city, man? Um, um, Ibado. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, grew up there. Not, I'm sorry, not, didn't grow up there, but I, I lived there for several years until I was about six or seven, mm-hmm. moved to New York, stayed there for several years, and went to the South for university. That happened. Came out here, and I feel that certainly prepared me for living in Arizona, living in the South a little bit, prepared me for Arizona. Um, What's the thing against the South? What's the oh, big? It's the South. It's still the South. I My agree. high school had a plantation house still sitting on mm-hmm. it. What yeah. university? Um, Old Dominion. Yeah. Old Dominion. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Old Dominion. <laughs> and, and you chose Old Dominion. Yes, <laughs> I did. I chose, was either that or Norfolk State. And okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, so it, you pick and choose. It. And I, I wanted to play. MEAC. <laughs> I, I wanted to play some basketball. 
And we should have come to Greensboro and played basketball. Those women look like you, though. <laughs> so that was not an option. We are in a genderless society. But uh, they were, no, no, no. <laughs> quick, quick shout out to the A&T Aggie, Lady Aggies. They, they played NC State the other day in the uh, first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And they were actually leading with six minutes left, no, five minutes left in the first half by, they were up by seven, I think. Couldn't, couldn't stick it out. Yeah, they were down by seven by halftime, and then it just got worse after that. So what high school in Brooklyn? Um, So PS 398 is where I went. And then we went to several private schools just because it's public school, New York, 80s and 90s. Not the best place, right? Right. So, but yeah, so I thought I had aspirations for basketball. I was the tallest typically on my team. I was a center, and then... I don't know. I think we did like a scrimmage and it was like, they were like seven feet tall and I'd have to be a point guard. I don't dribble. So <laughs> that ended. I'm 5'10". I thought I was yeah, doing something. It used to be tall. It uh, was. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. So Mm-mm. anyway, um, fast forward, fast forward. I came out to Arizona. I'm the young, well, I have four brothers. I'm the third, I'm the fourth Um and growing up in a community where it's mainly Africans and being a girl, right, all the things that come along with that, I was like, I need to get away from my family for just a little bit. Didn't last very long. I moved here about a year and a half later, like the rest of my family started trickling in, which is awesome because, you know, we're so close anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense. And I had a series of... Um, of leadership positions with various organizations here. My last one was with Gannett's publishing company. And I was pregnant with my daughter at the time. And I just, you know, I just don't want to do it anymore. I wanted to do something that was more impactful for me, more community oriented. And so after I had my daughter, I quit my job, moved in with my mom and my dad. And then we started this company. Um, we started Senior Placement Services as a community initiative to help veterans and anyone who's elderly or homeless find housing. So that's kind of how we got into this whole thing. And I obviously couldn't have done all of it, any of it without my family. Um, we all work together, every single one of us, from my parents to my brothers. We all do this together. So, you know, it's kind of how we maintain our own sanity. You know, you can scream at each other, and then at the end of the day, you're like, love you, because you kind of have to, because someone's going to tell mom or dad, right? So, so wait, so many questions. Here. Okay, let me pause you one second. So you were in the L&D space with Gannett, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. People don't realize how taxing that world can be yes. emotionally and mentally, right? Yeah. And then you made this transition from L&D to, were you more of a general manager then, or what did you move into from the L&D world? So no, that was it. So I was um, I was senior manager over at uh, Bank of America for mm-hmm. learning and development, and then I was asked by Gannett to come and um, create and lead their learning and development division. Mm-hmm. And so that involved quite a bit of travel, yeah. and you know, obviously I was pregnant, and that just didn't work any longer. I could still do my job here, but I just didn't. I didn't love it, you know. It was a lot of babysitting, right? Babysitting adults, doing your job, writing policies, delivering procedures, you know, those types of things. It just wasn't really in my wheelhouse, my personality. Um, So I just needed to do something that fit me and fit my family and fit my life a little bit better. So, I mean, it's it's, it's scary, obviously. You you know, you're in this great job and you decide to quit and move home with your mom. Wow. (laughs) You were asking for it. I I was. I was. 
But it was, I mean, it was good. You know, obviously, you know, my, my family was a family decision that we made and, you know, they supported me. So it was good. You know, it's all about commitment. I think a lot of times it's just, you know, when we focus on something that we want to do, we make those sacrifices, right? And, um, you know, sometimes it's about taking maybe perhaps a step or two back in, you know, your, your personal life, so to speak, right? Um, moving in with mom or dad may not seem like the, the coolest thing to do at at some point, but it's really about the long road, right? The bigger picture. Exactly. Totally understand. So you, um. I noticed you said you were the fourth, not the youngest. Were you not the youngest? I was. I was. And then my mom. Okay. (laughs) She's like 40 some years old. Okay. She thinks she's going through menopause. She's six months pregnant. Yes. Terrible, huh? No mom. So now I've got this younger, he's like, he is the epitome of like the millennial generation, my youngest brother. Like he takes it all in, like, you know. Kumbaya to the world and don't step on a cockroach. Cockroaches have lives too, right? He's one of those. He's great. I love him though. But we make fun of him because he's nothing like the rest of us. Because we, I mean, we grew up, we had a very, very different life than he did. So he didn't really see the struggles that my parents went through to bring us here and for us to maintain. I mean, I'm sure, you know, coming to this country, you know, for your parents, obviously you and your siblings, that had to be, you know, a, a transition that was. Probably somewhat difficult. Yeah, it was. It was extremely difficult. Um, you know, so my parents and when we, well, when they were growing up in Nigeria, my mom, you know, she lived, my mom was the daughter of a politician. And um, so she lived a very cushy life. And then she met my dad. And then, you know, she's one of 10. My mom is. And my father is one of a lot as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, when they came together and they bought this farm, you know, they're successful business owners. And then, you know, there was a lot of civil unrest in, in Nigeria at the time. And my parents were just like, no, so it was either between the United States and London. And this was around the time of Reagan's amnesty program, which Got no it. one really, everyone kind of forgets, sure. you know, that that was a thing. So when my parents came over, um, yeah, we lived in Flatbush when Flatbush was really Flatbush. There were seven of us in a studio apartment for several years. Mm. And eventually we moved up to like a one bedroom and a two bedroom. My aunt came with us. So, but you know, what happens is when you're an immigrant, you find your tribe very quickly. You find that group of folks that, you know, really understand who you are, where you're from, even whether it's geographically or just, you know, socially, like you find your tribe and that's kind of who kind of helps you through. So seeing that growing up and my dad's a pastor. So seeing that growing up, it was, it only made sense for me to also kind of move into that, you know, transition of my career and my personal life and, you know, having more close relationships rather than frivolous, you know, acquaintances. Right. So it, you know, just watching my parents kind of struggle the way that they did to get us to where we are now. I mean, you kind of have to, you owe, you owe a lot. So we do what we can. So how did you come to choose uh, Old Dominion for college? Like, And then uh, the interesting thing about that, you said it was Old Dominion or Norfolk State. Why, yeah. why just those two choices? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that bright young lady like yourself could have gone to any number of colleges and universities. I don't like school, though. I don't like school. I didn't like school. And the idea of paying out-of-state tuition for something I really didn't want to do didn't seem that appropriate at the time. Um, So, you know, I just kind of stayed locally. I I thought about going to U of, um, what is it, University of Virginia, and I visited that campus. Beautiful. 
It's on the Thomas Jefferson plantation. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> But I would tell you, I would imagine Old Dominion is probably not a lot different. Well, so Old Dominion is still pretty close to Norfolk, right? Right. And so it's the Portsmouth, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's close to the naval base and everything. So there's a lot of... There's a lot of military that kind of come in and out. Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot more diversity on that side than going all the way up to Charlottesville. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's be- Charlottesville is beautiful. My brother it. lived there. He, yeah. he liked it. Um, but, you know, still the south. So. And you studied what there? Um, so I have my master's in um, education and I have a master's in business and I have a bachelor's in business too. So while you were doing all this formal education that you hated. I know. What were you thinking? You wanted, <laughs> what were you thinking you wanted to do with your I life? I always you knew I wanted to be a business owner. I okay. just didn't know what capacity. I didn't yeah. know what space. And you know what was interesting at the time is, and I say this often now, because my circle of influence only revolved around the people that I knew and my parents knew. So there was no one else. And knowing that you wanted to be a business owner, but not knowing what space you wanted to go into because you didn't see anybody in those spaces specifically was very difficult. So in your mind, it's like, I know this is where my life is going, but not knowing the road to get there was difficult. Mm-hmm. So. That's that's an interesting perspective because I, I, I had that same uh, thought process myself in terms of, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a business owner. I always knew I wanted to be in business. But to your point, there there were very few um, models out there, mm-hmm. right, to sort of emulate or look right. at and say, that's what I want to do or, yeah. you know, see a lane that just sort of calls right. you because you just didn't see that as, as something that was part of the culture or part of right. where you were know, growing up or what you're involved in. So I totally get that. Yeah. So that roadmap, I mean, someone that can say, hey, Liz, do this, or hey, Liz, I've got an internship for you here, or those things just, they didn't happen. I don't know if those things happened for either one of you. If you had mentors. I got really lucky uh, through an internship program through um, Inroads. Okay. um, Which is, uh, it's basically a program where, and Inroads is still around, um, they have, they take, they, they, the, the mantra is talented minority youth hmm. and nice. place you in internships in business and industry. So typically any sort of business field, finance, accounting, marketing, yeah. uh, and then engineering and science were big. So, nice. um, you know, any sort of opportunity, any major there, you have an opportunity to get in what they call a talent pool mm-hmm. and they would arrange interviews with, uh, Companies in the area. For okay. me, it was in the Raleigh-Durham area, North Carolina. Um, and you you go and interview with these companies, and the companies would actually select who they would want to hire. So you would perhaps have the opportunity, but it wasn't a guarantee that you were going to get an internship or a job. Got it. Got it. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's a leg up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. That's certainly... I don't. Did you have any of those types of experiences? You know, at Michigan State, I was in uh, Michigan State School of Business. Okay. And when I graduated, we had two uh, African-American administrators and their role, even though they kind of held broader roles, Liz, they were focused on ensuring that really sharp, accomplished, young black graduates from the business school Mm. found great jobs. Okay. So they connected 
good companies and great students. Okay. And um, Ernie Betts is one of those guys' name. Hats off to Ernie and then Billy Dexter. And these guys were really focused on ensuring that if you did your job after four years, we'll definitely figure out a great home for you okay. uh, in corporate America. But, you know, you had to do your work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You had to do your work. We had, we had some great students coming in from, you know, Detroit. I'm from a small city, Battle Creek. But as far as mentors, I think in, in you know, college, those were probably the closest I had. Mm. I was probably more of an introvert, still am. So I didn't engage throughout my college experience with them the way I should have. Right. And that's something I picked up later. Yeah. And, you know, I know one of the things you're doing now in one of your many roles that you, you're taking <laughs> is focusing on this <clears throat> mentorship and yeah. being really deliberate around that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. If somebody told me that the purpose of university was to make connections, it would have been a better experience for me, yep. I think. Um, so I think with a lot of us missing that conversation, mm -hmm. at least somebody can still do it for you later on. Yeah. So when I joined ValleyWise, that board, you know, one of the things that I, Nate Larry, our CEO, who's very, very community focused, right? And one of the things I spoke with him about was, you know, what are we doing to help the minority community? And as a county hospital, this is our group. So how do we reach out to them? And how do we reach out to young people? How do we really identify like what their needs are? How do we get them that leg up like we we're talking about, Charles? And this is what, you know, this is what came to my mind. We have to create a mentorship program. We need to link young people with amazing business owners who can kind of show them the ropes. Like these are the things that I learned or, you know, if they just need, how do I write a resume? I mean, and I'm not saying that these guys, they don't know that. Right, right. But it's like. You don't know you don't that know. your resume is wrong. You, you're just wondering why you haven't been hired. Yeah. Or you don't know that, you know, this person is probably the best person to speak with because you don't have a connection to that person. So our goal was to really help them, one, incorporate themselves into the community because that's one of the other pieces that I feel young people we miss. We find a group, we attach to them, and our friends leave and we leave, we leave as well. You know, but there's really no solid footing into your community. Like, what's going on? You know, how can you help? How can you get involved? Who do you know? And that's one of the things that I really wanted us to bring together with that mentorship program. And we have, I feel like we have, um, we are in our, th going into our third month now. And it's been, it's been amazing. We have, I believe, about 24 mentees and 12 mentors. So it's it's perfect. I mean, some of these folks, I mean, I these are folks that I didn't even know that I have access to mm -hmm. in the community. So for them to, you know, come out and spend so much time with these three and four, you know, mentees that they know nothing about just out of the goodness of their hearts. I mean, it really it really is touching. So I wish I had something like this growing up. But even though I didn't, I'm glad we're able to do something like this for our community. And we do uh, we, we focus on our minority communities. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I would say about 70% of the mentees are, are of diverse background. So it makes me happy. And what, what are they, um, what, what's their situation, those mentees, in terms of you know, their, their aspirations? What are they trying to do? They're all employed, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we made sure that we aligned them with an organization um, so that the commitment was there. So, you know, the, the, main re the main restriction we had was the age. We wanted to make sure they were at least 35 years and, and younger. Um, so the goal is to really 
help them understand like what does philanthropy look like in your community you know when i was younger and even now i mean you hear the word philanthropist you think of the steve jobs or the microsoft the guys exactly you know you think about these big multi-billion billion dollar organizations that have poured so much money into the community and you don't think that you can be a philanthropist and so now that we know that our philanthropists are we're not recycling them like we used to how do we build that new generation and how do we get them involved in our inner cities, not just, you know, like the big companies, the Red Cross and the Catholic Charities? You know, those folks, I'm not, obviously they need help, you know, but there are a lot of smaller organizations here, too, that need assistance that could really use, you know, young people to to hold them up, to, you know, to to spread the word and also just to raise money. I mean, there's so many amazing organizations in this community, so we want them to understand what's going on out there and get them involved. I love it. I'm going to ask you a question about um, blacks who were born in Africa relative to blacks who were born in America. All right. I don't know if you were expecting this. Or not, but <laughs> it's I, common. I, I, okay. It's common. But I want to ask someone who I feel like would have an informed point of view. Mm-hmm. So I was in a, a doctoral program with the guests following you, mm-hmm. uh, Shola Ajaboye. He's a PhD now. And he was born in Nigeria. And I believe may have come over as an adult. Okay. And we would have this conversation quite a bit. There were actually two other Nigerians in that program and one other African-American woman. Mm-hmm. And... My perspective was there's a sense of dignity that oftentimes African-American kids don't have. Mm. I don't know if that comes from 500 different languages being spoken in Nigeria. We don't realize that. Right, right. Right. Not dialects, languages. Um, And many, many other things that happen growing up in Nigeria versus. Do you have a perspective on that? I think, I think a lot of my perspective comes from my parents, right? And I excuse a lot because my parents are like, they're in their seventies, right? So Mm -hmm. at that age, you're just like, ah, mom, you probably shouldn't say that. So I think At some point, when you understand everything about your background, like you don't have to go to an Ancestry.com. You don't have to go to a 23andMe mm-hmm. and you know your lineage. There's not a lot of questions about who you are and where wow. you came from. I think when you're constantly struggling to find your ancestors and to find your roots and to find identifiers that make up who you are, that struggle can't be ignored. And, you know, even, you know, and it's not even just like black Americans, but, you know, immigrants in general that were lost in the process through Ellis Island or, you know, just records lost and they have no idea. I think that that creates an internal battle that, um, that causes some challenges. I, I think that my, my pride comes from knowing my family and understanding that no matter what, I never have to worry about my family, like, abandoning me or, you know, the struggles that a lot of American families, blacks and whites, deal with because that's not in our culture to do. Even something as simple as, you know, while 
you know, we run mental health facilities. In our culture, those things don't exist. You don't put your parents in assisted living facilities. You don't, you know, you don't cart your family off to be cared for by a third party, unless it's a medical reason. And I think that level of uncertainty sometimes causes some challenges in in the minds of people. I get that. But I, in general, I have heard the sentiments that a lot of Africans look down on African-Americans. I've never, personally, I mean. I haven't found that. Oh, really? I hear that often. I've heard it. Yeah. Personally. Yes. That hasn't been my experience. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about Phil. You know, because we had Phil on, mm-hmm. and uh, his parents are obviously from Nigeria, right? Uh, he's first generation, and <clears throat> as you were just sharing that, you know, I'm just thinking about how, just thinking about how reverent he is in terms of just really wanting to like connect and learn. You know, I mean, I'm just really struck by, you know, as a young person, and look, you know, I'm not suggesting that young brothers, young Black Americans aren't this way, but. He just has a different way of engaging to sort of keep that connection going so that, you know, there is an opportunity for him to continue to learn and grow as, as he's developing as a young man. Forget about as a black man. Right. But he's he's constantly seeking, say, he's seeking me out or seeking you out for, you know, for dialogue or for, you know, perspective. And I think. That's something that I find, I don't know if it's unique to his upbringing or being, you know, in a, an immigrant a family that comes here that's seeking to find their way. Right. Um, but I just found that to be really endearing about him. And, and again, I don't know if that's a part of that Nigerian culture, but it's just something that I've noticed. Yeah. I know when I see black people, like I cling on because I don't see it often. And even though Charles and I had never spoken, I used to see Charles at the Henry all the time. I'm like, I'm going to get to know that guy. I don't know who he is, but I'm going to get to know that guy. And I, I mean, because, you know, you come from a coast where all you see are folks that look like yeah, you right. to a place where nobody looks like you. You try and find that connection, yeah. even if it is just visual. And that in itself makes you feel a little bit more comfortable. So, I mean, homeostasis goes a long way with just your level of achievement, you know, the way that you speak to folks, you know, all of those things. So. Anyway, you know, and I also think it's a it's a it's a great thing when you can congregate amongst you know, you know, not just you know the race piece, but the like mindedness mm-hmm. around you know being black and blackness and um, not having to apologize mm-hmm. for who we are and for where we are, right? Yeah, true. Um, you know, super successful in the work that you do, and and obviously you know very involved in the community work, and we can we can. We can just understand where we all are, right? And it's, it's just part of just part of relationship, part of you know how we move in the world. Yeah, you first of all you put that so eloquently, uh, and that's the no question. There's nothing else to say um, in in terms of you put that very eloquently, but passionately. And I don't think we talk enough about this dynamic in American societies. Because you talked about this struggle, and part of that struggle is opposing headwinds for black American kids in terms of understanding who they are. Yeah. It's not just trying to find out. It's fighting the headwinds so you don't find out mm-hmm. and so you don't know. And that is so critical. And it's not oftentimes the fault of parents, right. et cetera, because they also don't know. And they were fighting other headwinds, trying to establish their own identities. 
So I think the more I think about what you said, I'd have to agree. And I probably haven't thought as much about that specific dynamic, but I think it's critically important and, and leads me to start to think about, you know, what that might mean leaving this room. But um, I think that's really, really important. Um, I'd also say this whole concept of education, mm-hmm. as much as you probably hate it, formal education, mm-hmm. look what you've achieved. I will have to say none of those things were choices, by the way. But you didn't have a choice, right? You didn't have a choice. No, I didn't have but, a choice. But that you, was just but a see, part of what was how expected, is that, though, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, if your parents, like for me, even now I watch commercials and the commercials where children are so obstinate to their parents and somehow that's glamorized or oh that child is oh they're just being they're just having a bad day are you seeing this happen because this is unreal to me i've never i turn commercials commercials. i can't even let my daughter watch it and they think it's cute they think it's okay but because they also see it in their friends lives sure my mom would have drop kicked me like in any environment if i behave that way oh these commercials oh for sure yes i'm gonna sit here until i'm not gonna eat like really and you start pleading with these kids on yes. what they might eat. Yes. My mom reminded me that I was a child and I had no opinions, like all the time. <laughs> you know, your opinions are irrelevant. And, you oh, know, this is crazy. it was just, and it, it sounds terrible now, but it certainly led me to, you know, be more respectful to my elders. You listen yeah, more too. And, you know, if my daughter were to meet Charles, it's Mr. Charles. Like you're eight. Yeah. You have no right <laughs> you don't, you know, I, but that's I the way you. I was raised, you know, so you Same. meet somebody who's your elder, you know, in our community, it's like they're your aunt, their uncle. That's why everybody's like related. Right. But it's just, it's just a show of respect. And I think that some of that is going away. And I, and I remember reading an article a few years ago and some universities are dropping the Mr. And Mrs. from their professors. So you're just Nikki. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on with that. Yeah. Yeah, I've been on these um, boarding school calls and, um, you know, the, the, and again, a lot of this is, is interesting because there's, you know, the, there's a multicultural conversation in, in, in these boarding schools was they want, you know, they, 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 they want to do the work of anti-racism and mm-hmm. want to have a diverse population of students. Um, but then there's also the piece of, you know, the pronoun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know. You know, people will introduce themselves and say, you know, and, you know, and I go by, right. you know, she and her, right, you know, right. and so, and, and look, I have no issue with any of those things. I'm just trying to figure out where to, where to fit them in. You know, I'm just trying to figure out where to fit them in and yeah. when does it, when does it fit in? And like, how do I use these things? Right. Like, should I be using a pronoun when I <laughs> introduce myself? Like, I'm yeah. just trying to figure out how, what's the expectation? And yeah. so- it's just it's 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 so different. I'll go there. So, so you, you want to you want to know how I, I related? I wasn't baiting you, by the way. Yeah. I wasn't baiting you. I wasn't baiting you. You want to know how I I look I look at it this way? You know, we went from being called the N word and accepting it to being called Negroes, accepting it, being called colored and accepting it, finally being called black right. and African Americans. So those are all evolutions of you know, like who we were to to society. Mm-hmm. And I think now some of those things with our community has been solidified. You know, you have an entire group of folks that have been maligned forever. 
even today, right? And they're like, okay, this is our time now. And this is what I would like to be called. Look, I come in the mental, I come from the mental health space, but I'm also a child of immigrants who, these are things that they don't quite understand yet, right? They're getting there because we are in the mental health space, but this is very, very different for them. So I have to look at it that way. I mean, it's taken me some time to get used to it because it's not the way I grew up. So when when we hear like white people and they say, well, you know, you guys went from this to this to this. Now, what do you want to be called? Can I say African-American? Can I say color? Can I say black? So it's kind of like that. That's kind of the way that I look at it. And, and, try, and, and, and I guess in just the environment of trying to be open, like we expect people to be open for us, even though they don't understand where we come from. That's the way. I have to look at it for somebody else. No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear what my friend DJ has to say. Fundamentally, there are constructs and identities. And then I believe there is science. And I think that conversation needs to be flushed out. Um, What we want to be called is important. Science is also important. And if I choose to be called a three-legged deer, mm-hmm. is that enough? If enough people want to put it on a bubble. <laughs> and if I hop around like a three-legged deer, is that enough? So there's some, I think this conversation should be flushed out. I think it's important to flush it out because diversity as a concept has grown so many tentacles that it's becoming very thin. And until it's intellectually discussed and dimensions are created that make sense, that really, really make sense and can be acted upon, I think we're going to have some issues. So make sense to who though? I think makes sense to the ultimate goal. Which is? I think it depends on the organization. Where I see things going, if we're talking about the ultimate goal being equity, I can make an argument about past harsh treatment being the foundation for how we create diversity groups. Okay. But then I can start to add many groups into that. Mm-hmm. Um. If we start with the core around race and gender, we're not necessarily talking about identity as much as we're talking about science. When we start to bring other elements in, then we start to bring chosen identities into the conversation, not necessarily biological foundation. I'm not saying one is right or wrong, but how do we how do we then start to exclude other identities. I'm overweight. I've been mistreated. I didn't get. So I think to some point we've got to figure out when we talk about diversity, what is the basis of our conversation? Because now it's become really cool to include everything. And I'm not saying we should exclude anything. But we need to be able to have an intelligent, unemotional conversation around what are we really doing and why are we doing it? Well, and I think, you know, 
it also creates confusion, right? And, and in addition to that, it waters down everything that you talked about being the fundamental issues that you're trying to address. And so the, the question I often have is, you know, how do we get to a place where we can focus on the things that we can all agree on makes sense for how we want to all move forward? Because you get the detractors and the, those who who really oppose the idea of diversity or equity or inclusion. And they, they point to exactly what you just shared, which is, you know, things get to a point where we are on so many different pages trying to figure out what's what, that that for them, it, it invalidates the whole purpose of it in the first place. It, let, let me say this too. And then, you know, I, I think there's valuable work to be done in all dimensions of diversity. And I truly mean that. I think the fundamental issue becomes when a lot of the work I do, I'm brought forth to an organization, typically by their CEO or president, because of the George Floyd murder. Mm -hmm. And they are very clear. I'm appalled and we need to do something about that. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, quickly, the conversation shifts to everything but that. That's the struggle in this work is keeping people grounded, keeping people focused on what that emotional ignition point was and everything that comes with that versus let's conflate this thing and start talking about, you know, somebody who was born uh, with a mom and a stepdad. We've got to recenter this if we want to achieve anything. I'm not saying all dimensions of diversity aren't important, but I know a lot of the work that I've been asked to do was supposedly a function of, I saw George Floyd murdered. We have a huge racial equity issue. We need to do something about this. Right. Quickly, that conversation can shift to everything except race. So... Again, I think you, you answer, and some of that doesn't necessarily, some of this isn't going to be solved in your organization. We talk about that a lot, too, mm-hmm. because what you're doing at home is probably what you're going to bring into the office. 100%. And um, the Clark Kent Superman scenario doesn't really work. So there's valuable work to be done across <laughs> the board. This is not to discount any work For that's sure. been done. Yeah. right? But we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and not thinking everybody's going to agree. Mm -hmm. So two things. You'd mentioned we need to somehow pull the emotions out of this conversation and have a more scientific discussion. I don't know if that's possible because we're talking about ourselves and our families and the folks that are around us or the folks that you don't know. I don't know how you can pull the emotions out of that. Well... I think it's thinking about how emotion entered into the conversation. Well, yeah. I mean, but it start. I mean, the reason that you typically go into an organization is because of an emotion or because of a reaction, right? Or to seeing an someone with their uh, knee on right. someone's neck. Right. How can that not produce emotion? Right? Exactly. 
I think it can. It definitely has produced emotion, but at some point, at least I found in the work that I do, I have to be really clear about shifting from that to critical and fundamental issues that aren't necessarily emotional issues. I have to get to facts. For sure. And I have to get to, when we talk about bias, what is it? Right. So it's not ignoring emotion, but I think it's being really clear around the role of emotion in this work. Yeah. Because emotion starts to be at the forefront of everything. I feel, I felt. Mm -hmm. And you can spend the better part of a lifetime. For sure. Focused on that versus, let me be clear around impact. Mm -hmm. So when I say science, I'm I'm talking about impact Mm -hmm. as well. We can measure that. For sure. Not easy. No, it's not. Yeah, not not easy. And um, I don't propose this work for anybody who's tickling it and thinking about, oh, maybe that would be exciting. That would be fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It can be lucrative, but it can also be taxing. And Charles, you mentioned something about it being a little bit confusing, you know, as far as a pronouns goes. And so I read my daughter this book. It's called Marlon Bundo. Have you guys heard of it? It was written by, it's a little child's book. It's a kid's book. It was written by John Oliver. Okay. He's the commentator on HBO. Sure. In response to Mike Pence's book, he wrote a child's book about this gay something and how this guy like eradicated, you know, the, the mm. whole choice. It's, 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 it's insane. Anyway. So he wrote this book in response to that. And it's a child's book and it talks about these two bunnies getting married and they happen to be men. And there is this like, you know, this evil judge who's trying to keep them from getting married. And I'm reading this book to my daughter. This was several years ago. She's about five. She was about five at the time. And the end of the book to the two bunnies, the two male bunnies get married. And she's like, mommy, she he can't marry him. And I was like, oh, God, no, I'm failing. <laughs> I said, why? She said, he's too tall. He can't marry him. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, first, yay right? for me. Yeah. But then it's like it's confusing for us because we see what we've always seen. It's not confusing for kids because they only see what they've been exposed to. So now when she sees, like, two guys kissing on, on the television, she's like, they should be kissing, Mommy. This is inappropriate for, for me to watch. Not because it's two men, mm-hmm. but because they are people kissing. Yeah. You know? So I think it's all about, you know, what we've been exposed to is what leads to our emotional reaction to certain things rather than, you know, the science behind it sometimes yeah. or what we feel is right or wrong. Yeah, and, and for me, it's not even about what's right or what's wrong is really all about, you know, for the most part, you're, if you're trying to be a conscious human being, you care about people's feelings and you care about how you approach people in a, in a loving and respectful way. Right. For sure. And so trying to make sure that you're adopting the right terminology sometimes, that, that's kind of my point around mm-hmm. if you, if you're not, and I don't I don't consider myself someone who's inundated in the world to figure out, you know, what's the right pronoun. Right, I, right. Like I don't I don't I don't live and breathe in that circle every right. single day. So you you can all of a sudden you're caught off guard when all of a sudden, when the monikers change right, and something's right. new and like, wait a minute, when when did I miss that? Right? right. And so trying to make sure that you are being respectful and not yeah. being offensive because so many things are, right? It's true. With and again, intentional or unintentional, 
I think many of us find our, ourselves just trying to understand the dynamics of today and what we can say and what we can't say that's going to keep us, you know, in a place of, that's you know, <laughs> you know, keeping the peace, so to speak. Right, right. And maybe keeping the peace isn't the right answer, right? Maybe that's right. not what we should be focused on all the time is keeping the peace. Sometimes it's about, and, and I think DJ would probably jump on this really quickly. Sometimes it's about saying the way things are and the way that things should be, right? right? And maybe should be is not actually the right word, well, how you frame that. Here's what I would say. I would say I like the concept of peace, but I get more enamored with the concept of justice. Mm, yeah. And I don't think peace typically precedes justice. True. So I get more excited. Now, I have a close brother of mine who has said the same thing, uh, Reg. Um, peace oftentimes becomes the conversation before we've achieved mm -hmm. justice. Because mm -hmm. peace creates silence. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. So this is the genesis of what I'm talking about. It's not a right or wrong issue or a moral for me. It's justice. Right. And let's achieve that and then talk about right. peace and some of the other things um, that, you know, fundamentally people really get um, excited about. It, it's... Peaceful justice. <laughs> I mean, it's justice. I MLK. Mean, I mean, you know, I think it Martin, wasn't all peaceful, though. It, Most of it wasn't peaceful. And I, wasn't. and I, I, the the means of getting to that wasn't peaceful. But right. the idea, right. I believe, was always about peace. It was always the end result. The end result was all about that. Right. Um, the 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 journey to get there certainly wasn't peaceful. Of course. Right. Of course. And we see how it ended because there wasn't justice. Absolutely. Right. So this is this is this is this is this is so deep because it, it requires a certain level of um I I think valor personally to have these conversations. Especially when we all know each of us will go back into an environment where this will probably come up, right? right. Whether right. it's at home, whether it's our clients, whether it's our constituents. And for me, it's not always about necessarily agreeing. It's about having a respectful conversation Absolutely. with someone. Yeah. And I think obviously we can do that, but oftentimes it doesn't happen necessarily when we get in other spots. But I, I think I think it's great to talk about this. And I think, um, you know, when I think about the work you do particularly uh, in the mentoring zone, going back to that, you know, we talk about these headwinds, and I have to tell you, you know, you said something that struck me is I wish I had known. And I used to spend a lot of time thinking about that. Now, as much as I do think about that, I just wonder what if I never found out? Mm, yeah. And I allow my personality, which is really that of an introvert, to never step outside of that. And I don't remember the moment when I finally, because I was having marginal success being who I chose to be. Right. And not befriending people, not showing up at this event when I knew I should probably right. be there, right? But something clicked and I don't know what it was, but I'm so glad to hear that that is a critical element and you're being really deliberate around that. Because oftentimes there's a difference in success and failure. Yes. Failure meaning yes. not achieving what you sure. hope to achieve, right? And establishing emotional intelligence, too. Yeah, it's hard for me. 
Why? Why? Well, you know, you seem like you. I mean, why would you say that? You know, it, which is funny that she does say that because I watch her. She right? No, no, I, 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 I watch her, and she steps into it. Right? Yeah. She steps into it very naturally, and she's in all those places because she makes an impact just by being in the room. Right? Why are you? Why are you saying it's hard for you? It, because it's something I do have to work at. Is what specifically? Um, you know the. You know I. It's interesting. I, I. I used to teach emotional intelligence, and you know I look at you know things like my EQ, and I'm just like Liz. You really need to. And I don't know whether it was I didn't care, whether I didn't pay attention, but I had to be very conscientious of both. And what do my words? How do my words impact the people I'm around? And coming from New York, coming to a place like Arizona or even Virginia. I was very, what I thought was just honest, which is blunt and sometimes comes off rude and, you know, oftentimes offensive because my audience to me did not matter because the facts were the facts. And not everyone wants to hear the facts. Sometimes they want to be coddled a little bit and sometimes you have to do that. So it takes some time. This is why I wanted to have her on the show. <laughs> because no, we, you it's kind of like, like you and I. When, when 100%. The first time that Liz and I met, uh, it was over lunch. We had, you know, Cell wanted the two of us yes, to meet. Yes, yes. And, yes. Um, you know, we, we jumped in five minutes in. Right. We, we jumped right That's in. True. And, like, the dialogue just, it was just like this, right? And so, you know, I, I, I do admire um, your ability to, to, to really step into what that is, right? And Thank to say it, say it like it is. But at the same time, you're embracing others, right? You're right. you're t- you're you're allowing them to step into what they need to to understand where right. you're coming from, yes. And then you know el- enlisting them to be allies, right? To help get this work done, yeah. right? The work that you do so well. Yeah. Look, this country has been in correction mode from the onset. Sure. That's been a, that's been a that's number true. of exercises, right? The question becomes: What role do we play in that? And for me, it's you establish this, you keep correcting what you need to correct. Unapologetically, I'm going to be who I am. Yeah. And that's what I see you doing. I love it. So I hope you don't lose any of that. But, you know, when you're in like-minded company, you know, I'm going to, so this is way more personal than needs to be, but I've lived in Arizona for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I moved to Arizona that I started dating white men. I've I never that. dated white men in my entire life. Now, how do they deal with all this? Ooh, yeah. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> that answers my question, right? That ain't lasting too long. <laughs> so, 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 you know what? You know, when I'm, I'm, I'm going this. here. I'm, I'm no, I want to hear this. I, I want you to go there, but I want to hear this. You know, when you're how do you like, do that? I, look, my daughter's biracial. Yeah, I mean, you know this. No, that's right. Well, you dating all these white men. I imagine I don't have, but you want to know why. I'll tell you why. There, it's, it's not even like it's an option. It's not. What, there are. What do you mean by that? It, well, first, we have slim pickings of black men in Arizona, period. And how has that been? You know, so here, here's my thing about that. I used to kind of feel a certain way, but I was like, you know what? You can only love who loves you, right? And that's my bottom line. You can only Amen. love 
who loves you. I'm not going to engage in a relationship with somebody because of the color of their skin, hoping that they love me because we have that one well, thing in no. common. So that's where I'm going, right? So I'm not going to love somebody who doesn't truly love So you're saying black me. men have not loved you? No, no, no. I, how the hell would I know? I've never even, I haven't met him. She's, okay. just, <laughs> she's just talking about love, man. No, she's so just I'm, talking but about I'm love. I'm trying to understand. In er- love, so, what's your love is where you find it. And love is where you're looking too, right? That too. So, 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 so this so, is yeah, yeah. so. If there is a looking glass that I have not peeped through in Arizona, let me know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because listen, I get it. I get it. This is Arizona, and the numbers yes. are yes. crazy um, sparse, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to understand your experience because I can identify with an aspect of what you're saying, in that you are, to me, unapologetically. A black woman, right? Yes. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes. I'm trying to understand some of these white dudes I see messing around here. I don't even know how they deal with it. How do they even, it first of all, relate to it? So it doesn't work, obviously. I'm single for a reason. So it's not about so, You're trying to figure out that. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. not yeah. about you. Yeah. I, I don't think they could even... It's it's a challenge. It's a ch- it's you just like whip them. You just whip them to you death, know, don't you? Just, it won't. It, just like, it hasn't worked. <laughs> just like my daughter is eight. <laughs> I can just get you see a child. Yeah. The worst. The worst. Look, so. you should hear something. You should hear something. Well, I'm not even. I'm not even gonna say it. The stories. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not even the, gonna start the stories there. are. I'm so insane. glad we got yeah. to this. I'm yeah. Not even. Five minutes. So I know. Like you coming back. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting experience. In Any man you are with is very fortunate to have you. I I'm going to put that. it that Thank way. You. I understand every, I'm being a little bit silly. No, I get that. But yeah. at the same time, in, any man you are with is very fortunate. But, you know, I think overall, though, when you can't find a common ground with the person that you're with, it's always going to be difficult, whether it's yep. a marriage or a friendship. You know, if I, if I come to a friend and I say, this is what this person said to me, and you don't see the issue with that comment... You know, we don't have a common ground. I don't have to explain to you why and the how. And, you know, Absolutely. It's, and so it, it becomes very, it becomes a very exhausting relationship to hold. Got it. Um, unless you're willing to put in the effort and constantly, you know, have that dialogue. But sometimes I'm just not willing to do it. Yeah. So. We should ask the question we haven't asked in a while. You usually ask the question. So you ask the question. You asked. I you wanted to know if she had any questions, questions for us, but I'll, I'll okay. go ahead. But you have any questions? Whatever. For us? whatever I've been talking. To you. you know, we've been. I've actually been asking you guys questions, so I'm good. I'm good. Ask her the infamous question. I hope I don't screw this up. Okay. I've never asked the question. DJ normally asks this question, but and we only have a few minutes, so we'll have to. What would be your Mount Rushmore? Uh, in terms of just your your personal life, it could be personal, professional, but what what would be the Mount Rushmore of people that have been influential in your life? Of, of people that have influenced most heavily influenced you, if you can just oh, give us wow. the why you should have asked the question. Okay, so the person that's been most influential in my life, or like an experience. Four well, think, people, four just people. Their names four people. That have oh, been most yeah. influential on oh where my you are. Ever seen Mount Rushmore? That's right, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> okay. No, I get it. Like, think about it. Mount yeah. Rushmore would not be yeah. the heads of four Well, yeah. No, I know what Mount. I've never yeah. oh, okay. been there. No, no, I get that. Oh, well, yeah. You yeah. haven't missed anything. Yeah, those guys. I haven't either. 
right. So obviously, mom we and dad. We had sixty seconds. Yeah. So just mom, mom, dad. mom and dad. Obviously, my my second oldest brother, Steve. Um, okay. And I would say here locally, I have a mentor. Her name is Patty, and that woman is like my biggest awesome. freaking champion. Like there Love is. It. I don't. Do you know Patty? No. Patty Gentry. No, no, no. Um, this, she's she's an older lady, and you know there isn't a thing that I can go to her, and she doesn't. She won't find the answer for. Her, she won't have my back. This woman's spectacular, and I want everybody to experience that type of mentorship or camaraderie ship with another person, even if it's not like in an advisory role, but just understanding what love feels like coming from somebody who mm. looks nothing like you. That's awesome. So. I hate that we have we, to close. I know, me too. And we got to change the name, too, because Reg wasn't well, He's right. He wasn't feeling he's right. I, 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 we got to change the name. Yeah. We'll change the name. Because, I mean, those etching those. <laughs> right. Planting the seeds. But, <laughs> I totally get um, it. It has been so awesome. Would you come back? Of course. You guys are amazing. We, we just need to have a conversation just around. Just, I'm <laughs> super grateful that you came on. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's no. been such a joy having you. You've been amazing too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you, gentlemen. This is nice. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com.